<laughs> oh, shit, wow. Guys, we so are nice. done. I feel like I just graduated again. Yeah, again. Season one, <laughs> over. We did it. Yeah, mission accomplished. Mission I feel like we need to bow and like be like, thank you. Thank you, everybody. It was very oh, difficult to get here. There's Rafe on stage. He's accepting an award. Rafe. Oh, it's a participation trophy. That makes sense. Oh, oh no, man. he's holding a tarp, Adam, so that you don't shit all over him again. <laughs> it's probably the best idea. Splash zone, Rafe. You're in the splash zone again. All right, and band, you may stop, and audience, shut up forever. We don't need to hear this anymore. <laughs> Just a fun little joke. Guys, sound is fun to play with. Use your imagination, and I will put it in your ears. Speaking of, we're going to Bran Alvear's Tavern again. Welcome to the Wheel of Time show about the Wheel of Time show, a podcast that talks about the Amazon series, The Wheel of Time, which season one has finally concluded, and we already did episodes one through eight. Over the course of the last, I don't know, two weeks, it feels like. Jesus Christ, this series came and went very quickly. But uh, this episode, we do not have a twatch along for you to check out on Patreon. But we do have a kind of a season recap. And this is also going to be a mailbag for you. I am also, as always, with my trusty co-hosts. Hello, I'm Faye. I'm here today. And? Hello, I'm hello and hello. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Wheel Time Show about the Wheel Time Show or... More briefly known as Tuatza Twats. Tuatza Twats. So I'm super excited for this episode. I love to do recaps for full seasons. And I think the thing I'm most excited for is something that we should probably lead off with, uh, which is a segment that Garrett has aptly named Thoughts on Twats. Uh, So we're going to go over some of the things that have been uh, sent to us by you, the wonderful listener of this show. Uh, And you have some questions. You have some thoughts. We want to make sure we're going to give you the time where we respond to the things you've sent us because we've had several of them. And it's very important to us to make sure you feel acknowledged and engaged. A lot of times we just respond to immediately on social media. But some of these have been like burning questions for the season. I think now is definitely the time to do it. So thank you to everyone who sent us anything. If you ever want to reach out to us, we talk about our social medias all the time. Everything is at Wheel of Time Pod. Or you can email contact at wheeloftimepodcast.com, which a lot of you did. So thank you one more time. We will be doing spoilers afterwards. Oh, at the very end, yeah. So let's start off with a question from Griffin. Thank you, Griffin. Thank you, Griffin. And the subject here is mythology changes and ripple effects in later seasons. The message here is, is anyone else worried that the mythology changes happening in the first season will result in ripple effects that may make future plot lines difficult to film? The biggest example is the episode three presentation of Shielding. I would like to point out this came in before the season was finished. Episode three presentation of Shielding as extremely challenging to produce and maintain. This is a full flip of the novel's mythology where shields can be slipped over the unsuspecting and easily maintained by weaker channelers. This inversion will change the basic context of interactions critical to many, including plot lines, including the Forsaken, the Shanchen, the Black Aja, etc. I am actually finishing book four right now, and 
this is really interesting because there are so many implications that come later on. One thing I will say is what I think the creators were trying to do in that one episode where it was really difficult to like weave a a shield against Loghain is I wonder if they were trying to show this difference, like this inability to see channeling between like women and men. And that was why it was so difficult to shield him. There are obviously at the end of the season where we see that Moraine loses her ability to channel for one reason or another. And we are assuming that she has been shielded in a way that she has not been able to kind of fight against. Yeah, I think this is a really good example of some of the problems that I had with this season is every time there's a small change, it does create this ripple effect, as Griffin pointed out, which we do see kind of, I I guess, pay off (laughs) is a good way to put it in episode eight. And that is the fact that all the people in the world at this point seem very unknowledgeable when it comes to something like shielding. And that is definitely paid off in the fact that in episode eight, Moraine doesn't know the difference between being stilled or shielded. Or she does and she's just being coy about it for some reason, which doesn't really seem to have sort of an impact except like leave the season on a cliffhanger of something that's entirely unnecessary in my opinion. There are certain parts of the mythology that are being changed that are absolutely going to have massive effects later in the seasons. And I think this this season in general just sort of felt rushed. And I think they did that to try and bring in a, a bigger audience. But there's certain parts where you don't really have to change the rules. And they certainly did. I think you'll probably see a retcon. And this was done in episode three to show you Loghain is super fucking strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they didn't really portray that very well. But I think the point of shielding is supposed to be someone weak can get the jump on someone strong by shielding them. And if they aren't paying attention, essentially, they can be shielded by someone significantly weaker than them. And the point of saying it takes two people to shield Loghain is he's that fucking strong. But they really don't go into any of the rules of shielding. And then by the time we finish the season, it's like, so Moraine is so dumb in this iteration of Wheel of Time, she doesn't know the difference. Or she does, and for some reason, she's not going to tell Lan. But... Uh, I definitely think there's a lot of things that are going to have uh, a butterfly effect in later seasons at this point. Yeah, and we've touched on a lot of them because they've been complaints for what we've had. So shielding aside, as far as like mythology changes that have ripple effects, we can very much point to the fact that Moraine can mask the bond with Lan, which I honestly cannot remember if that's something that can happen down the road in the books, but it doesn't happen in book one. We can tell you that. And it happens twice. They set the precedent for it, and then they use it as a plot device right afterwards. It's not the end of the world, but as Adam pointed out, as it happened, it was like, that's a dangerous precedent that you can set. And then it has to really have a purpose after that. Let's jump to the biggest one that we've had in this show that we've been complaining about since literally episode one at three minutes in is that Perrin has a wife (laughs) that he kills. Like that, that changes the core mythology of Perrin himself. And... Wow, it just destroyed his character for what we have grown to love in the writing. And now it's like, well, what are we going to do? We still have to have his arc, which is literally only one way up. But the problem is, is that Perrin is not fun to be around anymore at this point. Everybody in the Two Rivers group is kind of saying, hey, you grew up with us and we love you. That's why you're here. But anybody on the outside would just be like, dude, fucking pull yourself up and like get out of this funk. Yeah, and he's driven by, like, women that he loves, right? Like, there's his wife, and then all of a sudden, Egwene, for some reason, plays into it. And I was like, this is this is just not, like, conducive to him being a cool character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like they thought, we need to have some sort of love triangle. I mentioned this previously, so I won't dwell on it. But it's like, we need to have some sort of love triangle, so let's make it grandparent and Egwene. Also, to amp up the tragedy, let's give Perrin a wife. Ooh, that'll make the love triangle even more complicated. Some of the things I've seen on Twitter where people are speculating about like the relationship between these characters, they want like Perrin to actually be in love with Rand or Layla to actually have been the person in love with Egwene. And it's like, 
I hate to tell you this because you're really looking for more substance. There's no more substance to this storyline. They toss this in there to try and give the character cheat motivation because it's based in a cliche. And they got what they wanted. And by the end of the season, they were just like, all right, let's make it a love triangle now that Layla's gone so we can stop talking about Layla. It'll just be talking about Perrin and Egwene in the future, mm -hmm. which is yet another departure from the lore <laughs> where it's like, why did they do this? Before I depart from this question, I also just wanted to like point out the changes that they made to the ways where now you have to channel to be able to get into the ways. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering if they're trying to like combine the ways and the portal stones, because like with the portal stones, you do have to kind of like channel and sense the portal stones. But this definitely doesn't make any sense now because, like, now you're wondering, like, do the Fade, can they channel? Right. Can the Trollocs channel? How do they get into the ways? And there's a lot of, like, other storyline in the future that comes with the Trollocs and the Fades coming through the ways and using them as a way to travel, which I'm trying to figure out now, like, how they're going to play that into later storylines because we and know again, that Trollocs don't channel. It's a problem created by bad storytelling. The, mm -hmm. the, the problem they had when they were making the show in this episode was Matt gets left behind. Why wouldn't Moraine just open the fucking door and go throttle him and grab him and drag him into the ways? Well, because now you have to channel to get in and you have to channel to get out. Also, channeling within the ways is suicide. So it's like now Matt's really been left behind type of thing. And it's just an example of how they decided they had to like separate these characters, probably because Barney was departing from the show and they needed to change the rules of the entire universe and did not think about the impact it would have in later seasons. Well, I'm glad we just mentioned Pat and Fane and also the ways because friend of the show or uh, fellow twatter of the show, Kristen wrote in, prefaced it with her background is a non-book reader. She likes finding tidbits from the book that are missing plot points. She has a question about Pat and Fane. If he's a dark friend and got through the gate channeling, why isn't he going mad like Loghain was at the beginning of the show? He's just casually walking around like a normal ass dude with fades in tow. No voices to be heard. No weird mannerisms to make him appear as if he's going mad. What's the deal? Something that they have subtly done in the show, which I actually do appreciate, is when we do finally see the quote-unquote dark one, whose true identity is spoiled by the Amazon Prime app, if you just pause it, it tells you what his real name is. But when he channels, when he's uh, facing Moraine, there is no taint. So I think that does show you that there are folks who exist who are not experiencing the taint. And uh, without getting too far along with any spoilers or anything like that, it's just something to keep in mind because you'll probably see that more frequently is that the, the taint is not universally existing for all of these folks. So that could be the case with Pat and Fane, and I'll let you guys cover the rest of that question. Yeah, and before we go any further, <laughs> we could say twatters as a loving term, mm -hmm. even though I can't <laughs> keep a straight face every time you guys say it. <laughs> I've already spat wine out today. Um, it's not too spoiler here, I think, to say that, you know, in the books, obviously the ways are not opened by channeling. And there's another way where you have an Evendasora leaf, which is like the tree of life where you like remove the leaf and that's how you open the ways. And you, when you put it back, that's how you close the ways. I don't think that's gonna come into play here. So not really spoilery. That's the biggest thing to point out here is that, you know, to use the ways you don't have to channel. And so here it doesn't become a weird thing where Pat and Fane has to like somehow channel. But like you said, you know, there are people in this world who are male, presumably, who can channel, who aren't crazy. I do like the way that they portrayed Pat and Fane. And maybe, you know, that whole like, oh, can Pat and Fane channel? Is he a dark friend that can channel? Like, I do kind of like that little twist in the storyline a little bit. So I will give that to them here. The bottom line is, canonically speaking, in the writing, Pat and Fane is not a channeler. 
that I don't know if is going to be a spoiler or not because this is not a complaint, but we have seen so many like massive departures from the book and characters that are being truncated that honestly, I do not know. They might be making Pat and Fane a channeler talking about precedent and ripple effect of mythological changes. If you have to channel to get into the ways, which you have to channel to get into the portal stones, I think. You, you do. Okay, you do. And you do not have to channel to get into the ways. If they're combining that and they're saying that you do have to channel, you're right. Now the precedent is that Pat and Fane potentially can channel, but he's not supposed to. Or maybe he can. Or maybe he's actually supposed to be 13 separate characters that they combined into one person. <laughs> right. Speaking of 13, yeah. I just wanted to like put this out there. Do you guys think that they're going to make Pat and Fane, like they're going to combine him into one of the Forsaken? I've gotten that feeling recently that they're going to wind up making him one of the people that like that's yeah becomes a Forsaken or so. Something yeah. along those lines without getting too incredibly spoiler. I will say there was a deleted scene that they tweeted. The official account tweeted out mm. a screenshot of, of Pat and Fane holding the Aventasaur leaf when he exited the ways um, and they deleted it probably because they're like, well, does this mean that the ways has two rule sets now? Right. Because that doesn't make any sense. So they probably like axed it and who knows? I really think they're making this decision by the seat of their pants. So in regards to the question, I give you a shrug <laughs> and information <laughs> that I had from the book that probably doesn't matter anymore. I will say about Pat and Fane, I fucking love him right now. He is awesome in this yeah. show. And the fact that he, as you said, Kristen, rolls with two fades in tow like a badass, like, yeah, that's awesome. Unfortunately, we only see one other like proper dark friend as a comparison. So it's like, oh, there's just that one dark friend who's fine, who can like call a fade. But this guy's supposed to be such a badass that he commands them. I, I wish we would have seen a couple more of the the like the dark friend universe because book one is fucking lousy with dark friends, by the way. It's just Matt yeah. and Rand in their own little journey being hunted down. And uh, we got a fast forward button on that, unfortunately, in, in episode three, I think. <laughs> I feel like the whole season was kind of on a fast forward button, but that's yeah. neither here nor there. Yeah, let's I'll, give the voice to the listener here. Thank you, Kristen. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks, Kristen. All right, let's move on to a question from Sean. And the subject here is, what makes a good adaptation? I really enjoyed this question. It says, hi there. Nice show. Been enjoying it so far. I like how there's a balance of outrage and enjoyment of the series. Everywhere else appears to be either entirely negative or glowing uncritical praise. And I agree with that assessment. Anyway, I thought an interesting discussion might be what makes a good adaptation. There are examples of great works like Jaws and The Godfather, which are considered terrible adaptations. What movie slash series do you think got it right? Thanks for all the entertainment, Sean. I talk about this all the time with my friends and maybe even on the show, but I've read several books that have been adapted into movies and every single case, except for one, the book is always better than the show. I fucking hate being the person that says that all the time, like, go read the books better than the movie or whatever the case may be. The only case where the book was not better than the film was Fight Club. Like, it's not a terrible read, but check it out. It's definitely interesting, but Fincher did such an excellent job of like stylizing the universe that Palinuic, I believe that's how you pronounce it, Palinuic's novel into something that everybody, for the most part, loved and was, was very iconic and groundbreaking at the time. Just a very cool movie to watch. But what makes a good adaptation is at the very core, the characters and the philosophy cannot change. You can change some mm -hmm. of the details and the plot and how they get there, but the effective core of the body of the work has to remain intact. I totally agree with you. I think my example here is Peter Jackson's The Lord of the Rings versus The Hobbit. The Lord of the Rings, beautiful. As much as I love Tolkien, I thought that the movies were a better way of telling that story than Tolkien did with his books. Um, and that's because, like you said, Garrett, he kept 
Peter Jackson kept the feel, the major themes of the book, even though there were changes. There were totally changes. The elves weren't supposed to be at Helm's Deep, you know, like we didn't get any Tom Bombadil or anything like that. But we got the feeling of, you know, good will prevail. We got the feeling of, you know, even the smallest person can change the course of the future, which is kind of like the main theme of that. And I love those books. You could tell that Peter Jackson was like looking at the books and 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 you see this, right? In like the extended versions where you have like the behind the scenes, you see Peter Jackson like walking around with a copy of whatever book was corresponding to whatever scene he was going to be making and going back to the text and saying like, this is what Tolkien said. And then I felt like he just like threw that out the window when it came to the Hobbit. The Hobbit because he a wanted cash to make grab. money. Like, yeah, it, it's three it, three fucking movies built exactly, off of one book. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? The, the problem here was again, the Hobbit is supposed to focus on this small person, the Hobbit, there and back again. It's this like fun children's adventure kind of theme. And then they added in all these like little extra bits. Like I did not care about this love triangle. Maybe that's the thing. What makes a bad adaptation? is when you put in a love triangle that doesn't exist <laughs> into the movies. Can I because, piggyback off of that, actually? Yes, I'd love to absolutely. jump in here. So, yeah, I think the thing that makes a bad adaptation, which is not the question that you're exactly asking, is when you try and Hollywoodize too much of it. You have a producer or you have some sort of studio head that gets in there and changes things because sex sells. Got to add this in. Got to add that in. And you see it destroy everything, not just adaptations, but every type and form of media. I think what makes a great work is very similar to what Garrett said. You have to keep the core of the story true to what the work is. And it's kind of ironic because I'm going to give you two examples. The first one might be controversial, but hey, it's my opinion. Game of Thrones is the perfect example of a great adaptation up till season six. The end of season six, things were so fucking good because they kept some of the details that were the core of that show and the core of those characters. And everyone was on board with how good that show was. Seven, it started to go off the rails a little bit. By eight, it absolutely fell apart. But one through six of Game of Thrones was incredible. And it's not to say things didn't change. A lot of things did change from the books, but it was irrelevant. The characters still had their core and they changed specific scenes that I couldn't stand from the book. Like in book three, when Tyrion kills his dad and is freed and Jamie's the one who's releasing him, they have a confrontation in the tunnels below King's Landing where Jamie asks him, did you really kill my son? Because he's been jailed for killing King Joffrey. And he tells him, yeah, I did. Fuck you and fuck your son. And it's this horrible way for these two characters to leave each other. And it makes no sense. And in the show, he doesn't ask him, did you kill my son? He says goodbye. And they have the heartfelt moment where they're genuinely going to miss each other. And it plays so much better. And I think that's truer to the characters than it was in the book. Because sometimes authors just sort of get away from who their characters actually are. The second example I'm going to give you of a great adaptation is my personal opinion. Again, it is The Godfather. It's The Godfather and it's Godfather too, Because they are very different from the books, but they're still incredibly true to the books. And the best example I can give you of why I believe this is a great adaptation, Mario Puzo, the guy who wrote the book, he wrote the screenplay for Godfather 1 and Godfather 2. Hmm. He also won the Oscar for best screenplay for Godfather 1 and Godfather mm -hmm. 2. And after he got done winning his second Oscar, he thought, I should probably learn how to actually write a screenplay because those are the only two he had really written. And he went and he bought a book how to Write Screenplay, supposed to be this amazing book, and he got to chapter one, it said, do everything The Godfather did. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> what makes a good adaptation is just understanding the characters, the motivations, and putting that from book to TV, book to screen, whatever you want to call it. And it's incredibly important, but it doesn't mean you can't lose stuff. And I mean, that's why I think a lot of folks are annoyed with book police, because there are certain things that I don't like, and it's very book police, but there's other things on Twitter that I see where it's like, they called Luce Theron Telamon the dragon reborn. He's just supposed to be called the dragon. 
I'm like, who fucking cares, man? I'm like, is that really where you're going to draw the line? Like, you're going to die on that hill? There are things that translate better on paper than on film, and there are things that translate better on film than on paper. And I'm okay with things being changed. Like, Tom Bombadil, cool character. That was fun. He did not need to be in the freaking movies for The Lord of the Rings, okay? Like, there was some, like, gigantic dude walking around playing with the ring. We didn't need to see that, and that was okay. The very last thing that I'll say about adaptations is I thought the same thing, Adam, too. I've read The Godfather and watched The Godfather and both I thought were fucking cool. I was like, Sean, what are you talking about here with it's notoriously <laughs> bad? I think because a lot of people who read Godfather 1 were like, this isn't very similar to the movie at all. But I like Godfather 1 got nominated for 11 fucking Oscars. Yeah, it's it's like, very good all around. Thank you very much, Sean. We appreciate that. Yeah, thank Thanks you, Sean. Thanks for that email, Sean. Cool. Uh, moving on to another friend of the show, Chris uh, writes in, from the finale opening, it seems clear that male channeling being tainted with madness is related to something the last dragon, Luz Theron Telamon, did or something that happened in the fight. If Rand is the dragon reborn, wouldn't his powers include fixing that? There's mention of the next dragon mending the world, but after he defeats the Dark One, Rand just wanders off to go mad. Shouldn't Moraine or the Aes Sedai have a to-do list ready? <laughs> uh, so first and foremost, we were just talking about this uh, kind of off mic that I cut out. It might be confusing as to what actually happened at the very end of season one. So Rand and the man or the dark one, as uh, you're led to believe, at the eye of the world, we're talking Rand channels. He gets all of his power out and he puts it into the saw Angriel and blasts it forth. And you see the dark one disappear. What actually happened is the Dark One wasn't there. And Rand's power exploding forth destroyed or damaged the seal or one of the seals that is on the Dark One's prison. So we actually see the man fading away and smirking as he's being obliterated by Rand's power because it was kind of a projection. Or at least, <laughs> I mean, we can't fucking confirm or deny anything. Right. This was That's my understanding was that like this was all kind of an illusion mm -hmm. and that the whole point was to get Rand there to use his power to try and release the Dark One somehow. He Luke Skywalker yeah, himself across the galaxy yes. at the end of <laughs> The Last Jedi. Spoiler alert. Really good way to wrap up that last part. Like, shouldn't the Ace die have a checklist? They do in the books. Yes. And they've made them so incredibly stupid in the show because they're trying to change things to make them seem more exciting, but they've just become more confusing. And now these sources of truth that are there to kind of guide the listener. It's like when you have a hero's journey, you have people that explain stuff to the hero so that the listener or the reader can understand what the fuck is happening. By the end of the season, our sources of truth are proven to be morons, basically. And it's it's annoying because they know the eye of the world is not what they think it is. Like in the show, they're completely different things. We thought, oh, they're merging the eye of the world in this other location. Like, no, they've made it clear that the Ace and I are just that dumb. Like they don't know what the eye of the world is at all. They don't know what the seals of the Dark One's prison look like. They don't think in the books whatsoever that this is the last battle. No one thinks that in the books. They're very <laughs> much aware that they need to go to the eye of the world for something different. Yeah. And it's, it is very different. Like at no point does anyone think like, this is the end of the world. And uh, someone someone mentioned it to us like it really feels like they canceled the show and they were trying to wrap it up in one season. I right. think my yeah. mom actually said that because she was like, it's so different. It makes no sense. It's not a spoiler because we've already gotten to this in the show. But what is at the eye of the world? Partially, one of the items there is the Horn of Valir, which mm -hmm. we are having the story that follows the Horn of Valir expedite a little bit with Pat and Fane taking it and spiriting it away. But just so you know, like there's elements of this truth here, but they also just pulled stuff from all over the world and all over the book and all over time and compressed it into this moment. One yeah. thing that really bothered me 
when it comes to this and it just didn't make any sense is you have Sue and Sanchi, the, the fucking Amarillan seat, saying like, oh, the last battle needs to happen at the Eye of the World. Take the kids there. Uh, I've seen it in my dreams. Uh, Ace and I have the ability very, very early on to ward their dreams from influence. And it appears that that's sort of just been completely erased because if you can trick the Amarillan seat and Moraine, it's, it's just like another dangerous precedent being set. I, I said this earlier, I think they thinned the Ace to Die ranks out a little too much because they don't feel like they have enough influence anywhere and including in just like intelligence altogether. Like people still kind of are afraid of them and stuff, but it's like, they're just fucking dumb. Yeah. Thank you so much for that email, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I love you. Back in here. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Too kind. Too kind. Thank you. I don't Thank know you. how they got in here, but I do like it when they clap for me. It makes me feel good about my life. I care not for their applause. They mean nothing to me. Your booze mean nothing. I've seen what makes you cheer. Sorry, Faith. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, shut up. All right, well, let's get back into the emails here, Adam. <laughs> so our next email comes from Absolute Zaba, uh, the subject of which is twat a twat. You ask the listeners to send messages. I'm sending a message after the finale. WTF, non-book reader here. We finished the finale, and I got to say that we really missed exposition. The episode moved faster than last season of GOT. Yep. The episode was presented like it was the culmination of a dozen seasons of the show. The epic music never stopped. Mm -hmm. I, I think we actually talked about this, too, oh, yeah. actually, like oh, while yeah. we were watching. I'm so confused. Everything was just slightly unclear. Did Rand defeat the Dark One? Also, the entire time Rand is in his dream or talking to the Dark One, we weren't clear what the stakes were or what Rand was supposed to do or not do. Is Moraine gentled? Was that flashback scene supposed to mean that super advanced technology existed and it was all lost? Where the fuck is Rand going? What's the significance of the White Stone? Who the fuck were these red-sailed pirates that show up out of nowhere? <laughs> Can I do a super speed round on this one? Yes, <laughs> yes, all right, go please ahead. do go for it. Okay, here we go. Did Rand defeat the Dark One? No. Is Moraine gentled? I don't know. Probably not, though. Uh, was the flashback supposed to mean that there was super advanced technology and it was all lost? Yes, it actually is. Uh, what is the significance of the White Stone? It's called Quendalar. It's supposed to be unbreakable. Who the fuck are these Red Sail pirates that showed up out of nowhere? They're called the Shanshan. So let's kind of go back a little bit and describe this. Garrett, why don't you take this? <laughs> Did he defeat the guy at the Eye of the World? No. That is only potentially a projection of him. The goal was to destroy the Quendalar, which is the White Stone, which was the seal or one of the seals in the Dark One's prison. Was Marine gentled? I'm going to have to go with Adam. I don't fucking know. Um, I think not. I, at least I hope not, because there's a lot more channeling that Moraine has to do later on down the line. I hope that's not spoilery. I'll give you this based off of how it was filmed. When we saw Loghain gentled, they pulled something from him. When we mm -hmm. saw Loghain shielded, they covered him with something and put threads into him, which is essentially what happened to Moraine. So I think she's shielded, but again, we don't know. Tying into the next question, though, we know that this man was from a different time. So this right. might have been like old forgotten channeling that we do not know about. It's not going to be super spoilery to say that Rand, now that we know he's the dragon and there's no male channelers to like teach him how to do stuff. He has to stumble through a lot of it and discovers a lot of old uncovered I mean, like the analog would be like spells, you know, he like figures yeah. out magic spells that people yeah. haven't seen in forever. And like he does some crazy shit. I think this might be a little bit of a glimpse as to what we're seeing from a time forgotten. 
Anyway, dovetailing into, was that flashback scene supposed to mean that super advanced technology existed and it was all lost? Absolutely. Also, I don't know if you guys are even aware of this, but if you go through the episode list on Amazon, they have a couple of shorts in there that are mm-hmm. titled Episode Zeros, and I only watched mm-hmm. one of them so far, but holy shit, they're almost better than the whole thing. Yeah, uh, they give you an exposition of what the fuck yeah. is going on. Yeah, they're like I, bonus material stuff. If it's like you have to watch this to kind of understand yeah. some of the episodes. For Absolute Zaba, yes, there used to be a super advanced civilization compared to 21st century Earth that was advanced to the point of even having flying jets and mobiles, as we joked about in our last episode. And all of that was destroyed by mail channelers going absolutely insane. It set them back thousands of years. And we are now thousands of years into that future from the breaking. And this is where we're at. That's why this series is so cool, is there's such a deep history beneath it all that you kind of get glimpses at as you go. I think to kind of take a step back to and, and talk to Chris about this particular question that, that is getting asked a couple of times here is that when Luz Theron Telemann, who is the guy we saw in the prologue of episode eight, went to confront the Dark One and seal him, that's the, the conversation that's being had with the females. Like, will you guys come with us and help us because we'll definitely succeed if you do. And her concern is the Dark One is basically an allegory for the devil. It's like, he's so fucking strong. He's a force of nature. He's not a person. Like, he could just taint the entire magic source if we do that. And Luz Theron's like, we're going to fucking do it anyways. So he gets 99 buddies, goes to confront the Dark One. They think they win. They seal the Dark One. During that time, the Dark One's like, I'm going to put my icky taint all over your magic. So anytime you use it, you're going to go fucking bonkers. This, and this is before the- that, you wouldn't go crazy. After that you're going to go fucking insane. Mm -hmm. And it's inevitable. This is the, but they were all of them deceived moment. Right. Yeah, And they, they're so powerful at that point that, you know, when they go crazy, they literally rip the world asunder. Like the geography of the world is completely Mm -hmm. fucking changed. It's like a a meteor hit and broke apart Pangea, which they don't really explain, but they kind of cover a little bit in the bonus material. But yeah, it's this cataclysm that occurred in the past because of them. And this is the red Aja's purpose to destroy every male channeler so it never happens again. Yes. Yes. One of the things I feel like they didn't really explain very well in the series was this sense of loss that I think we're talking about now, which is that they had this great civilization and it was all lost. And with that was also, you know, the ability to do certain types of channeling, certain types of healing, certain types of dream walking even that we don't really see and we don't really like get except from the dark one. Like there are people who can actually walk through dreams and, you know, change people's dreams and make them see certain things in their dreams that we just don't know how to do anymore. And a lot of times in the books, you get the sense of like, okay, well, you know, 50 years ago, it's been 50 years since we had somebody who knew how to dream walk. Um, It's been, you know, hundreds of years since we had a channeler that was as strong as Nynaeve or whatever. And you just don't get that, I think, in this series, that there's like this sense of loss of this ability to do certain types of things. And with that, I think, comes this significance of the Quendiar. And maybe that's what they're trying to do here is that nobody knows what they are, but the Quendiar or like the white stone that Moraine is holding is one of the seals that Luce Theron used 
to hold the dark one. And there are many seals. I don't want to say how many because maybe that's going to be a little spoiler. The thing that's annoying is the spoiler so. in the show, it wouldn't be in the books. In the books, they just say like, oh, there's this many. We know they exist. And in the show, that's like, yeah. what is this Quendiar we just stepped right. on? Mm-hmm. And so there are these stones, there are these Quendiar that are like supposed to hold the dark one in the seal. And again, here they've combined two locations, right? They've combined the Eye of the World and Shia Ghul, which is where the dark one actually is. Yeah, honestly, like the way they handle Moraine and the Ice to die and what they know and whether or not they're going to guide these people's actions it would be like if you looked at harry potter and you took dumbledore like the mastermind Mm -hmm. who has this plan and you made him a fucking drunken asshole who's just not the head of the school or anything like that he doesn't know what the fuck is going on and like he doesn't even have a wand he loses it all the time that's the sort of like downgrade that's happened to these characters that actually know what's going on here you're describing hagrid yeah, basically. <laughs> basically, yeah. if Hagrid was the Dumbledore character, and like every time they asked him, like, "What do we do?" is like, "I don't know. I don't know." I don't know. Quendiar shouldn't have said that. Quendiar, the White Stone, that is unbreakable. I mean, you get like a fucking half line from Lan explaining, mm-hmm. oh, "I thought yeah. it was unbreakable," and it moves so quickly so that the uninitiated just doesn't have time know. to grasp yeah. onto the significance of it. I'll do a quick book comparison that I think might really help you guys. In the book. The, it's not a seal on the ground. It's a disc that's the size of like a dinner plate. And when they find it, it's crumbling. It's not unbreakable. They're like, oh, this is Quendiar that's supposed to be unbreakable. And it's it's super brittle. It's falling apart to represent the Dark Ones coming out. The Dark Ones slowly breaking free. And they're like, we need to find the other ones and see if they're all like this. But in the show, there's a like a significant amount of ignorance about it that would have... It really hurts the, the viewer to not understand like, oh, this is a seal. Because like there's a, a paragraph in the book where they're like, this is a seal of the Dark One's prison. Here's how many there are. It's really dangerous that it's brittle when it's supposed to be unbreakable. And then you understand the stakes. But if you watch this episode, no one has any idea what the fucking stakes are for mm-hmm. season two or the rest of the series for it's, that matter. It's fucking unobtainium from uh, that <laughs> shitty yes. film. What is it called? Avatar. Where the fuck is Rand going? We don't know. Doesn't happen in the book. Yeah, it, I think that he thinks that he's completed his task of destroying the Dark One and therefore he's going to very damaged soul go off into the sunset to lose his mind John Muir in the woods style Shanshin, I don't think we should talk about them at all. Yeah, I, my feeling is that they're going to get more explained in the second season and the oh, reason course. that they showed up like this was we're supposed to be like, ooh, what's going to happen with these people? Exactly. I have things to say on them during Spoiler Corner because like, there's really there's no way to talk about them without spoiling anything regarding right. the storyline. So, Thank you, Absolute Zabba. Thank Absolute you. Absolute Zabba, thank you so much. I'll go ahead and move us to our next one. <laughs> this one's from Fridjof. I think I said that right. And it says, thanks. It says, all right, greetings from Oslo, Norway, smiley face. Thanks a lot for the podcast. It's been a fun companion for the show. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, thank you. My significant other and I are now bald from pulling out our hair through this season, but it'll regrow <laughs> in time for season two. Anywho, if you want more of the same underwhelming but good-looking stuff, you should check out the movies by Tarsum, such as Immortals and The Fall. It comes down to poor storytelling, like you guys said. I've seen Immortals. It's, it's it sort of falls flat. Uh, if you're doing a listener's question episode, I'd love to hear your please God, don't slash or wreck this from book two. Mine would be Tom. Just bring back Tom with mustaches and full-on bard show and not the half-ass tavern singing. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not really a question here, but thank you, Frijoff. Honestly, book two is not super high on my list of the ones that I like. It's exciting, but what do I hope they do not wreck? Do we want to say? Yeah, Yael. Mm, no. Do we want to say the, the character's name? <laughs> yeah, should we say it? Yeah. We uh, just, uh, no. Ah, we fuck it. We have a, I have a bleep button for a reason. I don't want them to wreck. I think this character is going to come in and be both sexy and 
dangerous. And if either one of those is ruined, I'm going to be pretty upset about it. I think I'll make mine quick. The thing I don't want to be slashed from it or wrecked it might already be, which is the interactions between Rand, Perrin, and Matt. Uh, they spend a lot of time together. It's really nice to see what their friendship is like and to see Perrin develop as far as what the hell is going on with the wolves. Since no one really knows, you get a lot more understanding in season two. Mm -hmm. Perrin might not undergo any sort of changes for season two because it's really good stuff and I don't think they cut it. I do think since Rand has wandered off and Matt's now on Tarvalon, uh, we probably won't get the three of them traveling together, which was something, it was some of my favorite parts because it's like, you know, it's fun. You get to actually see these characters exist around it. It's like seeing friends hang out and it makes you become more attached to those characters. I don't know if we're going to get that. Mine is someone who hasn't been introduced yet, so I don't know if I should say her name, but we can bleep this out too. Elaine. Oh, um, oh. I don't think we should bleep it. I think we should make reference to the fact they fucking moved it from season one to season two. So part of book one is when Rand actually makes his way into Camelin, which is like the capital city of Andor, and he like accidentally falls into the garden of the palace and he meets the queen and her daughter, like the heir to the throne of Andor. And her name is Elaine. And she is actually supposed to be sent to Tarvalon to train, um, to, you know, learn more about channeling. And she plays a really huge role later on. I, I won't like talk about like what role she plays, but they have nixed her completely from this season. So I'm really interested to see how they're actually going to bring her in to be part of the storyline. Yeah, we unfortunately have Tom and Min are cut and loyal are very much cut back from the like the B-listers. I didn't really think that Elaine was a B-lister, but the fact that she's yeah, she's not she's no. completely <laughs> out of uh, <laughs> the fact that she's not in season so, one kind of bums me out with it. Let me break our format really fast to bring up something. When I rewatched this, uh, it bothered me. Loyal is stabbed with the dagger from Shedar Logoth. Yeah, which talking about setting oh. dangerous precedents. If it slightly cuts you, you basically melt. Yeah. Like you'd cease to exist. And the fact that Loyal has been stabbed with it, it's just like, if he's okay in season two, I mean, I'm going to be happy that he's not removed from the fucking show. But it's just like, okay, so are you depowering the dagger? Or did you, honest to God, fucking forget that's what happens when you use the dagger? Or not know. I think what's going to happen is like Nynaeve's going to come in and do one of her like crazy, powerful channeling healing uh. thing again. It's going to make me mad, but I think that's what they're going to do to try and save these characters. Yep. All right. Thanks, Frigidoff. We appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and also, we are so very sorry if we were pronouncing your name incorrectly. We really did try our best. We, we did. We did. All right. Our next question is uh, from Sean again, actually. And the subject is another question. Thank you, Sean, for asking us another question. We love hearing from you. Uh, and his message says, hi, this will be my second question submission. I hope there's not a limit. Uh, there is not. There is. You're done. Bye. <laughs> you're cut off, Sean. <laughs> Send in as many as you'd like, Sean. Don't listen to them. Um, anyway, I'm curious if you've noticed a trend in TV series lately with actors doing a strange whisper talk. In Wheel of Time, at first we get it a lot from Rand and then from Lan in episode seven. I've noticed a lot in other series too. Star Trek Discovery is a repeat offender. And I'm curious to know if anyone else is noticing. There's a separate thing about the sound mixing that make dialogue hard to hear, but this is more about the actors themselves delivering lines in a forced whisper. Thanks, Sean. This is so funny because I was literally just reading an article the other day um, that was talking about this specifically. And good ears, Sean. Effectively, there's like a myriad of problems that can be contributing to this, including at the mix stage, the sound team is mixing for like a larger screen or 5.1, and then that gets paired down to home studios or to laptops and just the down mix just doesn't sound good. It doesn't translate very well. It could also be that sound on set is 
not respected as well as, uh, as say, camera department is. And then there's the mix itself. It could be that the director or producers want to have emotion run through the scene more so, so they pump the music or pump the sound effects to really scare you with the, the Trollocs and the Mirdral. A lot of things can contribute into the mix as to why dialogue isn't the current hero. In this case, however, I think it may be on the actors. The delivery that actors are doing is changing. It used to be, you know, 70 years ago, if you're watching anything that is black and white, they were treating it like the stage they were projecting and the microphone was like 10 feet from their head. Now we have lavalier or wireless mics that are on people's bodies and we can catch up these tiny little nuances in their voice. And we also have the boom mic that's going to be just out of frame as close as we possibly can to them, which is all great. It means that the production can capture as much sound as possible, the best as possible. But, and I'm not telling any actor that they have to do things a different way, performances have actually gotten quieter because of it, because they know that so much is going to be caught that they've actually gotten, that they've toned themselves down. And there's just an interesting push-pull in the industry right now with, which I'm not like deeply a part of or anything, but um, people are talking about it. It has not only been noticed by you. The other thing I will uh, say just to put a button on it is that ADR, which is automated dialogue replacement, which is the act of after that is shot, you put the actor in a studio, you play the, the film in front of them and they repeat their lines on a clean microphone in a clean environment and you put that back into it. I noticed a lot of it, especially with Rand in the first episode, it takes a trained ear to hear that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm guessing that the actor who portrays Rand just has a quiet voice because it was... You know, we commented on it that he was just kind of doing a lot of breath. Yeah, because he yelled at Marina in episode two. I was like, I finally heard him. Uh, <laughs> I think this I, I first noticed stuff like this with George Clooney when I was watching movies when I was younger with George Clooney. And I was just like, I cannot hear a fucking thing. This guy mm -hmm. says my mom is a closed captioner. Uh, so for a living, she listens to people speak and she converts it to words on the screen. So if you're ever watching closed captioning, uh, especially for live events, that's actually a person that's doing that. So she notices every time someone talks quiet. 20 years before she was a closed captioner, uh, she worked for the court system. So she had to like write down every single thing an attorney uh, or a judge or anything said. Um, and she always notices when people talk quiet and she can't fucking stand it. It's like everyone has this whisper uh, delivery system now for their more dramatic lines. Because I, th I think the idea is if you whisper, people pay more attention to it. <clears throat> and I don't think that that is necessarily the case. I, I will say if you want a cure for all the whisper acting that's happening right now, just watch some Korean dramas because they scream at each other constantly. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess like part of it is this like trying to portray these like, you know, tall, dark, like not very verbal men that like don't talk very loud, which is I think a lot of George Clooney's characters or that just might be George Clooney. And I assume that that's what like Daniel Day Kim is trying to do with Lan. He's like this tall, like soft-spoken dude who's still kind of scary. If a character's ever described as brooding, you better turn your yes. fucking volume up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Sean. Thank you, Thanks, John. Sean. And we're going to come to a close with the questions. Our final one is from Anand. Who do you think makes the decisions on what to change? Rafe, producers, Sanderson, which is in reference to Brandon Sanderson, who is the author who finished the series after Robert Jordan passed away. It seems like the show has multiple hands on the wheel. No, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. Pulling it in from different directions that doesn't always make sense altogether. Have you noticed this show occasionally has two tones in one episode, one lighter and one far too serious? It feels like someone wants to make a Marvel movie and a DC movie at the same time. I didn't clock it like that altogether, but every two episodes they'd switch to a new director and that's probably what their shooting schedule. So 
there's going to be an overall theme across the whole season, but you might get tiny little flavor signatures from your director, depending on which episode that you're in. I will say regarding like the, it feels like a Marvel movie and a DC movie at the same time. Like the best way I can equate that is like something feels lighthearted and something feels way too fucking serious. And I think I do have some of the discrepancies that have come up in my in my reviews of previous episodes, especially with episode one. It's like they're trying to introduce you to these characters like, oh, they all enjoy each other's company. They're busting each other's balls. Also, Matt's parents are fucking wretches and they're such pieces of shit. It's like the amplification of everyone's like underdog backstory, I think, is probably what's making this feel a little bit more disjointed. As far as who makes the decisions of what to change, it's Rafe and the producers. I would think that Sanderson is like the last bastion of hope for trying to keep stuff true to the book. And I also know from reading some interviews that they basically ignore him. One of the most recent interviews, he said he's like, oh, he would love to work with them more. <laughs> and it's basically like they're going to make changes. So it's either going to be the showrunner or the producers. I think episode specific changes and how something is shot, how dialogue is delivered will be your directors. I think in most cases it's the producers. And I think that's why Rafe was put in as a showrunner. Specifically, he's not this giant big name that everyone knows about, but he's someone that'll do what they fucking say. Yeah, I don't really know how to answer this question because, I mean, I, I don't really know. I just feel like whoever's writing the show has not read the books or they're, like, reading it as they go along <laughs> because it definitely doesn't feel like they're thinking about what's going to happen down the line. I'm very jaded when it comes to this topic because I have read so many stories of movies uh, that have had the studios come in and producers come in and absolutely change. Like, if you ever read the saga of Spider-Man 3, of any of the Star Wars uh, sequels that have come out basically they have stories that come in and they get completely fucking ripped apart by people that are like make it more appealing to a larger audience what that really means is make it fucking suck make it suck so that's a popcorn flick that people that will take their kids to don't have to think too hard on and when they talk about it, they go eh, that's alright and because ah, that's alright makes more money and uh, mm -hmm. so when I see stuff like that and I've read these horror stories you know when I see something like do you think Ray for the producers are doing it I think like Amazon and producers definitely have a say uh, but like it's been mentioned before, it definitely seems like a lot of the decisions on things that are quote unquote changed are coming from people who have not read the books or maybe like read Cliff's notes. I think the one last thing I want to add here is that it feels like throughout the show that they shot a lot more stuff and then they put it all together and realized that, you know, episode eight was now going to be three hours. And then they were like, oh, crap, how do I fit this into the 50 minutes that we need to to make it into episode eight? And so then like they had somebody go in and pick and choose what to keep in. And, you know, that's why I think episode eight just felt like it was super fast forwarded because it feels like they had more material. They just couldn't cram it all in. Ten episodes. That's how you solve that problem. Like yeah. it doesn't yeah. need to be eight. Everything <laughs> is like a general nine or ten nowadays. Just make it ten episodes. Thank you, Anon. Thank you to Anonymous, a friend of mine who didn't want their name shared. <laughs> thank you. That concludes the questions that we decided to read on this season's Thoughts on Twat. So thank you, everybody, for sending those in. We very much appreciate it. So we went episode by episode as to how we felt about how the season was playing out. Front to back, episode one through eight, how'd you guys feel? There were a lot of episodes that I really loved. Like episode two, I think, was just so beautiful with like the song of Manetherin. Episode seven, I really loved. The problem is, I think, like, when you have a season finale that is such a letdown, it just drags the whole show down. It's very different than if it was just, you know, episode five that was just a flop or something. And so even though I think they did a really great job with a lot of episodes here and there within the season, I'm going to have to give it, like, a five out of ten. Mostly because I think that when you end something not well, a.k.a. like Game of Thrones, it just throws a whole sour feel for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. For me overall, I think the, the season did a lot to bring in an audience, and I think that was their main goal. 
And I, I think that was what I had some issues with is the changes that were made to kind of dumb things down. I can take a lot of that. When it comes to stuff that's going to have massive far-reaching impact on future seasons in the series as a whole, that's when I start to get pretty nervous. And there was quite a bit in season one. I wrote down five out of ten as well. I thought if it was not such a letdown, I probably would have done six out of ten. I will say, for me in particular, I enjoyed far more than I didn't like. The things I didn't like, I fucking hated, though. <laughs> like, I really, really was upset by them. So it's, it's something where it kind of drags my score down a little bit more. So I give it 5 out of 10. If this was a, a term paper I was handing back to a student, it would say, disappointed you have so much potential, 5 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I was really harsh on the season finale, and now, now that I've had a week to digest it, you know, we watched it twice before we actually did the sit down and then the deep dive into it. I still don't think that the finale is good, because it, as I said, it was just bad television in my opinion, and the pacing was very off. And now on the whole, I feel like the entire season's pacing was off. It felt like they wound up one of those cars that you can put on the ground and then it drives itself forward because there's like a rubber band or a spring on the inside or something like that. But what they did is they wound it up and then dropped it about a foot off the ground so that the wheels were already spinning, hits the ground and starts skidding. That's episode one. Then its momentum catches up and it starts moving into two, three, four, and it's doing well, but it runs out of gas around six. And bursts into flames around eight. <laughs> but then, so they wind it up, they wind it back up again because we're still kind of hanging here in limbo on the momentum of it. And they wind it back up again and then it just shoots off once more. But we were all very um, unprepared for the speed that things were going to be going. Some of my friends commented that the show felt like The Magicians slash, I was saying it felt a little bit like The Witcher as far as like production quality, which I'm not trying to say that unkindly. I'm just saying that it felt like not full budget. It felt like three quarters budget. So it, this could have easily fit onto WB, but it was on Prime. Whereas Game of Thrones is a solid HBO show and they have the numbers of their budget to prove it with the, the quality of actors and uh, people behind the scenes running the show on, they shelled out top dollar for it. And you can tell, at least for most of it. As far as like the story is concerned, I am really, I, I was holding on to him as much as possible, but I'm really fucking bummed for Perrin, but especially Lan. Lan is just a fucking brick in this season. Yeah, he's, he's supposed a sex to be- object. My hope is that he'll get better next season. There's more potential to Lan later Well, I mean, there, there was more potential for them to pull from in this book that they didn't. They just like nerfed True. him real hard. And hopefully it's the, well, he'll get better kind of situation. But he starts off very cool. And then the more that he talks, he just, it just plays his card that he's kind of a I really, dumbass. I really agree with you here. Like, I love that they added in this vulnerability and this love story with the Nine Eve. I hate that because they did that, it took away from the fact that he is very, very capable. And it's just another example. Like, you had to make these characters suck to make your story work, which means you're not really telling it the right way. Mm -hmm. And that other quarter of a budget that you were talking about, Garrett, really should have just gone to two more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, I don't want to be unkind. Like, this is an achievement that I would never be able to do on my own. I can only dream to being a small part of it. But I'm going to go out and toss this out there. Make me the fucking showrunner and I'll make this the best show ever made. <laughs> I do think I can do this 100%. He's, he's calling me I, out, I understand how incredibly hard it is to do something like that. You can go ahead. Amazon will be great publicity. Fire Rafe, hire me. <laughs> Yeah, Rafe is in the splash And then we'll do today. What the Fuck Adam. What the yeah, fuck you guys Adam. can have the show still and have Rafe take my chair. That would be fucking great. 
if Rafe was here on us, he'd be like, man, what does this fucking guy do? It's like he's never run a show before. <laughs> so I, on a scale of one to 10, Garrett, what would you say you give it? Oh, um, it, it did fluctuate a little bit. I am not going to forget how much I loved all of the middle of the season. Uh, I'm going to give it an 8.5 because Ooh, you wow. guys, I don't need to justify this, but again, I really only had problems with the first episode, which I felt the rest of it was going to be promising, and the last episode, which was just bad. But Faye, I was going to say too, you said it exactly right. I don't want the last thing to have happened to damage my palate for everything else that came before it. I really enjoyed a lot of it. I had problems with it as well, but I thought that in general, it was pretty good. I'm also, again, that kid on Christmas morning that's like, I'm just happy that I'm seeing the show about this property that I've loved that is bringing me back to 20, 25 years ago when I was reading it for the first time. So, uh, yeah, I, everything optimist, upwards and onwards. Um, if they do this again to me, though, if they do the yeah. season finale to me again in season two, holy shit, Rafe, I'm going to have my own segment called I'm fucking coming for you, Rafe. <laughs> my cautious pessimism, I told myself, like, I hope the same thing I hoped after episode one, that I look back and say, like, man, season one was the worst season of Wheel of Time, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that would be beneficial because that'll mean they slowly start making the corrections. And as the storylines pick up, then we can just start moving forward so i think um, what they were doing is they were using season one as book one's template now they're going to break off of it and they're going to say now we are making a different wheel of time show and i think that's the biggest mistake in the show will be canceled in three seasons i don't disagree that it's the biggest mistake as far as getting canceled i don't know man there's a lot of people that when watch you're this. when your finale has nothing but not positive questions like what the fuck just happened <laughs> what like, happened <laughs> that's the worst thing you could ever do for a show it, oh there's no God. cliffhangers it's i don't even know what i just watched why should i care like that's hard for me we're just gonna go ahead and quote end of the show and then you're gonna get your theme song and then we're gonna talk a little bit about spoilery stuff so uh much like how we did a couple episodes ago and put the spoiler stuff at the very end i'm not gonna say go there or make you stop listening for a couple of minutes you can stick around for the after after show or you can leave right now um it's up to you but you are now exiting the spoiler free ish <laughs> zone and going into the <laughs> we're definitely going to be saying spoilery stuff zone after the theme here so Faye and adam thank you guys so much for a wonderful season one that we did together even though it's we gave it five and eights out of ten and stuff like that we still did put together a show for it and i'm glad that you guys came along with it and Faye, i'm glad that you're now an official full chair with us even though that was like after episode two, we were like, nah, bring Faye. We need we need Faye in here right now. <laughs> well, thank you guys for having me on the show. I mean, this has been great. And also, of course, thank you guys for bringing me into the Wheel of Time because I, like I said before, had these books sitting on my shelf for like 10 years and I never read them, but uh, I really should have because they're really amazing. Yeah, I just want to say thank you to Faye for joining us. I know everything was really last minute getting you on the show because you are such an incredibly busy person. Mm -hmm. And thank you to Garrett for producing and sound engineering every single episode yes we all uh, sound like we're uh, recording in a tin can until garrett kind of like mixes us and like makes us sound lovely and professional happy to do it and adam uh, i would be remiss if i didn't talk about all the behind the scenes work that you do as far as posting and maintaining the website and every social media that we have which all the handles are once again at wheel of time pod everybody we do have a patreon on there is uh, our watch alongs and everybody says it during their off season but keep subscribed and notified of the show like you know just pop into your app every now and then to see if anything has been released because we're going to have more than a few drops between now and season two coming up uh, not only with some information that we'll have about the upcoming season but also 
a little bit of a surprise, which I think we may have already talked about. So if you already know, then hooray. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be, it's gonna be really fun. Great. Keep listening to it. This has been a wonderful season. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Oslo, Norway, for contacting yeah. us. That's yes. cool as shit. And if you want to hear um, your emails and your questions on the show, do what these fine people did and message us. You can find us on our website at twadsatwads.com. There's a contact form. Go ahead and put that in there. Of course, you can also DM us on all of our other platforms on Instagram and Twitter at Wheel of Time Pod. That's right. Slide into those DMs. We actually encourage it. That was a pretty good season overall. I mean, for us. So good stuff, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just Let's for us. Let's head on over into that spoiler zone and you can join us if you all want. But yeah. that's everything we got for you. Oh, bye. Bye. <laughs> Listener, I love you and stay with the series. We have only upwards to go. Spoiler zone, you are in the spoiler zone. All right. Welcome to the spoiler zone. zone. Everyone put spoilers on your car or something. No, okay. (laughs) Hey, guys, Lance fucking dead in season two. He's fucking spoiled it for you. (laughs) I think what I most want to start. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's not true. I think what I most want to start with in spoiler zone is to explain what the fuck happened at the end of season one. Yeah. For those of you who want spoilers but have not read the books. Okay. There are seven seals for the Dark One's prison. It is well known in the books. There is no question about it. They're the size of a plate. They can't be broken. When they get to the eye of the world, it is a completely different location. No one thinks it's the Dark One's prison. No one thinks it's the last battle. Garrett mentioned it's like an oasis. It's more like the room of requirements because it shows up when you most need it, which it does in the books when they're riding through the blight. They are looking for it. It pops up. There's a bunch of shit that pops off at the eye of the world. Essentially, we meet two Forsaken, two of those evil people that have been mentioned in the series. They have a fight with them. Rand learns he can channel. The eye of the world itself is actually a giant pool of male magic that hasn't been tainted. That's only going to be able to be wielded by the Dragon Reborn. So when he shows up, he drains the pool, fights the bad guys. Yay, he wins. That's the end of the book. And at the bottom of the pool, once all of that magic liquid shit has been pulled out, they find, like Garrett mentioned, the Horn of Valir. They find the seal of the Dark One's prison, which has crumbled. And they find a banner of a dragon that will need to be flown and is incredibly important throughout the entire series. Mm-hmm. They know what's going on. They have all these prophecies. Moraine has dedicated her life to studying it. That's why it's so very different. So the prophecies, I'm glad you said that word and I meant to touch on that earlier. <laughs> Like, the thing that sucks is, like, Sue and Sanchi and Moraine are just like, we don't know anything about the dragon and anything that's supposed to happen. There's the prophecies of the dragon, which actually say the shit right. is going to happen. And I don't exactly remember where they came from, but it's like a remnant of the Third Age that, uh, or the Age of Legends, that kind of gives a map as to what is going to happen. Like, the dragon must do this to know it's the fucking dragon. Because even yeah. though we know right. that Rand's the dragon it's not widely known in this universe that he is. It's actually kind of questioned a lot as to whether or not he's the real dragon or not because we have things like Loghain, false dragons. It's like, how do you differentiate someone from the false dragon Mm -hmm. to the general public? And that's the thing that really bothered me about Moraine's character this season is that she knows the prophecies. She's trying to steer Rand to fulfill them. 
And the fact she didn't even know what the eye of the world is means her character will completely fucking change for the rest of the series if she's this dumb. Yeah. Unless they start episode one, season two, where it's like, oh, man, I spent the whole off season reading these prophecies. This is really good shit. Like, I feel like I know what to do now. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, I think, like, at some point she has to be like, oh, look, a whole library of prophecies. Did you guys know they wrote books about this show that we're making? It's unbelievable. So, OK, that's the main thing I wanted to toss out there for folks who are like, I'm listening to Spoiler Zone because I don't care about spoilers. I know a lot of people in my life that are watching the show, haven't read the books and don't give a fuck about spoilers. They text me constantly to figure out what the hell is going on. The second thing I'm going to say when it comes to season two, Rand wandering off is, for me, what happens to him in book three. In book three, he wanders. He's not the main character of the book. He's still moving towards a goal. In this iteration, he thinks the fucking final battle is done. The last battle has been completed, which means he's a fucking idiot. He's going to be wandering in the blight, which isn't just it's so bizarre that they decided to do this. And like I mentioned before, the fact that I'm not going to get Lan training Rand how to use that fucking sword, it breaks my heart because Rand understanding how to use that sword is so important. Like the series is going to rip him to pieces, basically. Like we all know that he has this horrible destiny where he's going to have to confront the Dark One. That sword is very important to him in the first part of the series because it's from his dad and he pours himself into learning it because it's a connection he has with his father. And it's like, that's probably not going to exist in the next season. Mm -hmm. I think we have to go back to that like series of questions where I think someone had said like, don't the Ace and I have like a to-do list for him? It's like, yeah, they absolutely do. And like all these different people around, like not just the Ace and I, but all these different peoples like have some type of prophecy about the dragon reborn. Like the Aiel call him, you know, he who comes with the dawn. Um, there's like a bunch of other people who like know that he's supposed to do certain things. And it's, it's a little bit mysterious to me as to right now as to like, how is he going to accomplish these tasks? How is he going to get to certain cities in the future, like to Tyr, for example, right? How is he going to get to the Aiel Waste? What, what are we going to do? Are we just going to wander our way into Tyr, which seems very far away from the Blight or the Aiel Waste? For them to think this was the last battle means they don't know any of the prophecies. Yeah. yeah. You know? It's or they just decided to think they could skip over all of them. <laughs> like, right. I don't get it. So give a positive spin to spoilery stuff. I really hope we see more of Padden Fane. I mm -hmm. liked that they made him more of a character in mm -hmm. season one that they did in the books like he was existing but he was just kind of like he's like the golem almost oh 100 of this series yeah, you know and, yeah, and the fact right. that they gave him a little bit more agency i like the idea that he has this dagger now i want to see him change he's not just a dark friend anymore this dagger is going to pollute his soul with a different darkness because it goes from hey he has fades with him to hey fades are afraid of this fucking dude <laughs> and i want to see that because it happens in book two where it's like they find a Fade who's been severely fucked up. And then later on, someone's like, did you see what he did to that Fade? Like, no, I want to see some Dark Friend shit. I want to see the camera follow Dark Friends. Mm -hmm. I want to see something from the bad guy's perspective. I want to spin this back a little bit because you talked about Pat and Fane. And, you know, Pat and Fane has already, like, stolen the horn, which is something that happens in the books. But there's a lot of shit that happens before he does that. And I'm just trying to figure out, like, how are they going to backtrack now? Because they've already skipped over one of the prophecies, which is that the Dragon Reborn is supposed to come and bring together the heroes from ages past after they blow the Horn of Valir. Um, that Matt, by the way, is supposed to blow, but where's Matt? And the thing that they follow, the heroes follow the banner. They don't follow him yeah. just because he says he's the dragon. They follow him because he has the fucking banner, which doesn't exist in the show now. Mm -hmm. And 
There's like 250 pages before the horn gets stolen yes. in book two. That's mostly Lan and Moraine, Lan and Nina Eve, Lan and Rand, Rand and his friends. And it's just like, okay, I don't know how they're going to start this. And they also made the horn such a fucking like throwaway yeah. object. Like they're going to have to really explain in season two, like everyone in the world has been looking for this thing since it was lost. This is literally an allegory for the Holy Grail. It yeah. is the Holy Grail if it was needed to defeat the devil. And they're just like, eh, I mean, the is. second book is called The Great Hunt. You know, like everyone's looking for this damn horn. They might put the banner inside the case of the horn, which I don't think that they will, but maybe they do. But much like Perrin's axe, I think the banner is going to be hitting the, hitting the cutting room floor, so to speak. Um, it pisses me off that it's not there because it's a source of like frustration for Rand because he he drags it along and he's he's told to keep it with him. It's like it's like a negative affectation to a degree until he he embraces it. And yeah, I don't yeah, think it's, it's going to be here. It's a symbol that's important. Like he gets this symbol in different ways in the future that proves he's the dragon to other people. And I just feel like mm -hmm. I feel like the show is basically going to cut out every single fucking prophecy except maybe. Book three, where he takes Kalendor. I think that's just such an important thing. And it's something that would be like super cool. Like, oh, a sword made of glass. We can totally toss that into season three. Right. That mm -hmm. they might have that one be the one that proclaims him the dragon. And they just fucking axe everything else. I think like some of the prophecies and some of the things in Robert Jordan's books are very obviously taken from like different lore of, you know, like different legends and things like that. Obviously, Kalendor is Excalibur. You said the Great right. Horn. That's like, you know, the Holy Grail. The ending of all of this, like fighting the Dark One is supposed to be Tarmageddon, which, you know, it's like <laughs> fantasy Armageddon, I guess. I didn't even I didn't put that together. Um, so I, I kind of wonder if like they're changing some of this because they're like, oh, it's 2021. It's not 1990. It's going to sound a little bit too like sticky or like campy or something for a 2021 audience. Yeah, this is like one of the largest fantasy book series. And I think it's the we talked about this before. It's like the best selling of all time. But I don't know if it's just generally on numbers or because there was fucking 14 of them. But mm -hmm. it kind of seems overdone because we've had the Lord of the Rings movies and the fucking shitty Hobbit movies but we've also had now all of Game of Thrones and now Wheel of Time is coming to shine and since people have already been exposed to that material they're kind of like well this has already been done before so I think there's part of yeah. the showrunners are like well how do we make this different this is where I disagree because I think the biggest problem I have with the show is how much shit they've shoved into it mm -hmm. to make it similar to other things people like. Oh, yeah, it's yeah like, I get that. But oh, they... when someone gets naked, it's okay to make something similar. But when there's high stakes that sounds kind of similar, yeah, mm -hmm. just pull that out. Whatever makes Wheel of Time, Wheel of Time is not sacred to anyone mm -hmm. because it's like, oh, well, if that sounds kind of similar to someone else's idea, even though it came first, then we're going to go ahead and just rip it the fuck out and put two characters that don't have sex in there instead having sex. And it's like, mm -hmm. are you fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> like, I had to watch Rand fuck Aguin the first 10 minutes of the show. <laughs> okay, I get it. They're aged up. That doesn't mean he has to fuck her right away. Like, you can have a love story without a sex scene. Each thing they take out gets replaced by something that's tacky or cheesy or cliche and there's only so much of you can do before you weigh down your show so much that no one wants to fucking watch it. I binge shows when I'm excited about a show before the next episode comes out I watch every episode that's come out that season so I'm like ready to go. It was a chore to do it for Wheel of Time I didn't do it for the season finale because I was like I can't watch the middle of the season again. It's so fucking boring for me like they change so much stuff and they take so much shit out. I just sit there and I'm like 
I don't know how I'm going to fucking slog my way through eight episodes to just like recap the full season. I did. But as I was watching, I was just like, the show is not nearly as good as it could have been. And it's just so fucking disappointing that they have to start changing shit in season two. And like they can't keep ignoring Sanderson. They've completely cut Robert Jordan's widow out of anything. Oh. Like she has oh, no say in this show that. whatsoever. <laughs> She's just going to get a paycheck and they put Sanderson in charge of everything that's supposed to be Jordan's estate and making sure that stuff stays the same. And they they basically treat him like a consultant they can completely fucking ignore. And it's just, I feel that when I watch this show. I mean, we keep joking about heroes, but it's fucking heroes, dude. Like the original writer. He made Pushing Daisies. Yeah, he did. But um, but then Pushing Daisies got cut. They were like, we're going to take this show that we know how to do better than you away from you. They did. And then they brought him back in because they go, fix what we fucked up and he goes you pretty much fucked it up beyond repair yeah. I'm gonna try to do something and they're like well we still need to keep this and he's like no fuck it I'm out of here you guys aren't gonna listen to me at all I'm gone <laughs> yeah without going too much further into spoiler territory I think we've covered like most of the things we're worried about in season two yeah. uh, mm -hmm. I want to wrap us up on the Shaunchen so yeah we don't know what's gonna happen with it it is very important to Egwene's storyline she be captured subjugated and beaten constantly to motivate her. I don't know if they'll do this. No. I will say the fact that they show up and they've already made visual changes from a leash to a fucking pacifier, like <laughs> Wi-Fi <laughs> control, like a Bluetooth pacifier instead of actually having a leash from the controller's wrist to the dominated person's neck, which its symbolism is already so strong to have their mouths covered now. I was just like unnecessary changes that don't need to be made as soon as they hit the fucking screen. And I was just like, God damn it. What sort of mess are we getting into for season two? You know, you brought up a good point with Rand and Land not going to be having their training sessions in here because this is the part where Rand actually becomes a formidable swordsman. So spoiler, like, I mean, you're in the spoiler zone, so fucking listener beware. You know, Rand is going to get into a duel with like a proper blade master from the Shanshan people and he's not going to lose. And the reason that he doesn't lose is because he's been taught properly by land how to be a fucking badass with a sword. And if we don't have that, what the fuck? He's not gonna like, he's not gonna go find the, the Jedi sacred text over on planet who gives a fuck that has blue milk monsters, you know? <laughs> he has to learn this from somebody, otherwise they're gonna have him kind of ass backwards fall his way into killing like a superbly deadly foe with a sword yeah. on accident. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know what he's doing with channeling. It's been made very clear that's something that's true in the books. Like, he doesn't have a teacher. He has to figure shit out. So he knows he needs to defend himself in some way. And he has that meditation through fucking learning it. And it is something that he holds with his character for the entire series. Mm -hmm. That not just that sword, but being a blade master, understanding how to wield is something important to him. And someone actually mocks him at one point. Like, why does it matter if you know how to use a sword? You're the fucking dragon. Like, and I'm not going to tell you because I know Faye's not even there yet. But when someone says that, it's like, it's supposed to make you think, like, why does it matter to him? Mm -hmm. Like, why is this something important to him? Because he is a male magic user. And it's like, if you're going to cut all that out, like, what the fuck's the point of even giving him the sword? And even making, like, the reference to a heron marked blade. It's just so frustrating. But the point, though, is that this is why you don't deviate, because part of the series charm is the character development. We have these kids when they're fucking eh, supposed to be like, let's just say they're 18 years old. Let's all be safe that we saw some butts. 
Um, we see them at 18-year-olds in their stupid little backwater farm town, and we know where they're going to be going at the very end here, but it's about that growth that mm-hmm. we love. And Adam, you said it in the main show, non-spoiler zone, like the three boys together, it's like they're just having fun, fucking around and hanging out. Like that's what we can't wait to see because we are a part of all of that in the writing. That's where we want them to go from their humble beginnings, not their damaged past or whatever, but their like small beginnings. We see these kids grow up. It's hard to know that the support system Rand initially has dealing with the fact that he's the dragon. Once those people find out who he is, seeing those interactions in the first part of Great Hunt, Aguin finding out he's the dragon, Matt, Perrin, Loyal finding mm-hmm. out he's the dragon, how they react to it, that is so important to character development for all of them just as much as Rand. And like he's just going to wander off into the fucking blight now? Like yeah. what are they going to find out? Like through a fucking newsletter, like in season four, like oh, it was Rand the whole. What Rand's alive? Get the fuck out of here! Hey, get the like, fuck out of here! <laughs> we had talked about this at the beginning, right? Like, what makes a good adaptation and what doesn't? And like, I think we all agreed that it was you have to kind of keep to the original idea and like themes behind a source material. And a lot of what Robert Jordan does is he creates these great relationships between characters. Not romance, because I think we've talked about how he's (laughs) really bad at writing romance. But what we've done is we've sacrificed these friendship relationships and we've added in unnecessary romance. Like Nynaeve and Lan, sure, like that's there. We know that that's a constant like state of, you know, um, difficulty for both of them and grows their characters. But this like weird wife that Perrin has, this weird like three, like, or not three way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't know yet. This weird, triangle. This weird love triangle that we have between Perrin, Rand, and Egwene. And the problem is like Egwene in the future is not even going to end up with Rand, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm just trying to figure out like she's been so important in this relationship between all of them with this like love relationship where they've like been sleeping with each other and all of that stuff. And now I'm just going to try and like figure out like in my mind, like how are they going to detangle all of this? How are they going to pull her out and maybe put other women in her place? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think that me personally, I, I have a feeling that it's going to be easy to decouple Rand and Egwene, only because I think this is why they show them or imply that they are in an active sexual relationship is because, like, I mean, kids fuck, you know? Like, they get together (laughs) and they have relationships and you date people before you actually, like, settle down with somebody. It's not like, oh, well, we courted and we held hands once and I one one time saw her ankle. Kids do shit and it's it's okay. It's another example of, like, they cheapened this departure from each other. Yeah. She's going to think Rand's dead in season two. And she'll be like, oh, I'm going to go to Tarvalon. I'll become oh. an Aes Sedai. She gets to make that choice in mm-hmm. book two. I see what you're She saying. says she's going to do it. She fucking does it. Now it's going to be like, oh, by default, I guess I'll go because Rand's not around anymore. It's like, he already knew that's what she was going to do. But like, you just take the agency away from characters by just, I don't know, trying to expedite a plot that doesn't need to be expedited. The other thing I was going to say. Amazon came out with news two days ago that they want 15 seasons of this show. 15? They want to do all 14 books and the prequel. And it's like, cool. Well, you just fucked it up by rushing everything in season one. And it's like, and if you think you're going to get through nine seasons and then do a season of New Spring, be prepared to have your buildings burned to the fucking ground because no one wants to see that, which probably means more flashback shit. And it's just like... I don't know if they really had a plan or any familiarity with this fucking content now that they're like, it's successful. Now we want 15 seasons. Well, here's another spoiler for everybody listening in the spoiler zone. Uh, I am not doing the show until 2036. Fuck you, Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) My God, 15 years? We will be 
51. Oh my god! If we do Stop the show it. the oh entire gosh. time when the show wraps up, I will be 32. 15 years, right? That's like half my life right now. I don't even know if I'll live for 15 more years, man. I do dangerous stuff sometimes. I mean, seriously, if this show ends up turning into fucking Big Bang Theory by the end of it, like guys, I'm I'm out. I'm so sorry. I'm gone. We're going to have like grown children who can join us on the show by the end. <laughs> oh my if God. you want to do 15 seasons, here's my suggestion for that. Cut out almost all the Deus de Mar shit because uh, yep. once you start getting to the game of houses and the politics and trying to remember everyone's names and who the Too fuck is friends with you, it's so much to keep track of. Cut that shit out. Focus on the important stuff and have at least a full season be the actual last battle mm-hmm. because it's so long, but it's so fucking good. Don't do Game of Thrones one episode where they confront the Night no. King and have the big oh, war. Gosh. If you do that, I will riot. I will be so fucking furious. But yeah, it's just like they've recognized the potential for the show to go a really long time. And they're like, Supernatural went for 15 seasons, but it's, its ratings started to dip. But if we do this right by season 15, our ratings could be the highest they've ever been. It's like, <laughs> you're absolutely right. It's a shame you didn't think of that before you started season one. Like, holy shit. Our projections on pumpkin sales starts increasing and, <laughs> and capitalizes on October. You would think by February, they'll be through the roof. God, yeah. So, okay. Um, fun stuff. I will say that uh, the name that we bleep that I am looking forward oh, to in season two, yes. that is the Forsaken named Lanfear, everybody. She should be fucking awesome. And if she's not, I will riot. And the last spoiler is, is Garrett really needs to go to the bathroom. So we got to land this plane, guys, because uh, I, yeah, go. I have to go to the post office and then get set up for Scarish's live stream. So <laughs> I didn't stuff. realize it was so long, guys. Sorry. Yeah, no, this is great. It's because natural conversation where we don't have to worry about checking ourselves for spoilers goes by very, very quickly. It does. Anyway, listener, thanks for being here in the spoiler zone, which we don't do ever. I think I'm going to start doing this on uh, the end of every season because this was kind of fun to do. This so, is great. Uh, I don't know how we get out of this because we've never gone this far. <laughs> Somebody smash the fucking listener. Yeah. I love you and draw a blank. That's it. Bye. (laughs) I love you. And I hope this does not end like Game of Thrones. Yes. Same here.